For some of you, it's your first time. For others, it is not. But for today, I would like to welcome you all to Epic Realms. Friends and enemies, heroes and villains, welcome to Epic Realms. Today's guest has a history of RPGs, including his own Twitch stream and company Rookery Publications. He's probably most known as the cartographer for Critical Role and his work with Warhammer. Please welcome Andy Law to Epic Realms. Welcome to the hello, show. Hello, hello, we had We were having a nice long conversation for people that have been waiting. We were just chatting in the back. It's like, we should probably get going. So that tells you how this show is <laughs> going to go. That's how this show is going to go. So my first real question for you, and this is kind of probably a standard question you've answered quite a bit. Mm -hmm. What was kind of your first introduction to role play? Like, how did you get into role playing? How old were okay, you? So what game? All that kind of stuff. I was young. I've been playing role play games for a very, very long time. My very first introduction to them was all the way back when I was eight, um, maybe nine. No, I was nine, I think. And my mum, who was a very creative type, she was an artist, uh, was very intrigued by fantasy and science fiction in general. My dad had a library of like seven, eight hundred books of just sci-fi. And my mum had quite, uh, fantasy and horror. And on top of that, we had a variety of little, relatively early role-playing games that weren't D&D. But the first one that we actually played was when Fighting Fantasy, those choose-your-own-adventure books from the UK, Fighting Fantasy brought out a role-playing version of it okay. uh, called Fighting Fantasy. And I played that with my mum, my dad, my brother, and my grandmother. And we all got around, and we played our first-ever characters, and every single last one of us was a bit special in how we approached this. My dad, he played a, a warrior called Zombie the Great, so every time a combat came up, he just shouted, Zombie! Zombie! Ra ra ra! Ra ra ra! As you do, my grandmother played D'Artagnan because she had obviously read the Musketeer books and she yeah. wasn't quite sure where to start. So she did that. I played a wizard. My brother played something else. I can't even recall because who cares what your little brother played? <laughs> um, um, and that was my first intro into it. But I think that game pitched me a different version of role play to most people's initial experiences because my mum was an artist. So rather than just simply go, here's the adventure, you arrive at scene one, certain things happen, you're now at scene two, what are you going to do next? She had redrawn every single piece of art from the book and she presented them in front of us. She had draw redrawn all the maps and she presented them to us with those as well. Uh, so it was right from the outset, for me at least, a super engaging, super fascinating view of what the games could be because what we then moved on to play as i then moved on to play other games RuneQuest. I, I won't go into all the deets for all the games we played but all sorts um i just played them differently to everybody else right from the outset it wasn't just a sit down and chat or get your miniatures around the table type thing it yeah. was a far more immersive far more art supported 
or alternatively character supported experience. My dad shouting zombie, zombie, <laughs> rah, 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 um, set a style of role play that was quite different to what I would then find when I went into school and other people who were starting off with their early D&D sessions or whatever. Yeah. And for them, it was almost a board game by comparison where they were moving through a dungeon or they were moving through a set number of scenarios. And it was, for me then, dull. I found it quite boring yeah. because I had a very different experience back at home. And I lived in a lighthouse as a kid, um, very isolated away from everything else. So uh, having fun and having games were an important part of making sure you didn't go completely barmy uh, yeah. and lose your, lose everything because you're miles away from everybody else. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time right from the very beginning drawing, supporting, writing, creating, building and doing things quite differently to what all my friends were doing um, in their tighter role playing circles. And then eventually I brought that to them. And they were like, what the fuck is this? This isn't what we were doing. As I started to wax lyrical with stupid accents, and they were really bad because I was like, at that point, 10 or 11, yeah, yeah, yeah. my accents my accents were bad. Um, <laughs> but they were enthusiastic. Um, and that meant that uh, we started building roleplay groups that were quite different around us. And I ended up building my own club um, uh, of about 100 members. Um, so by the time I was what, 16, 17, I had a club. Um, that was a role-playing game and war games club. Um, and that sold role-playing games and war games at it as well, because I had my own shop there as well. Yeah. And then eventually, eventually I went to Games Workshop at the age of 18 and said, I own every game you have ever produced. I have every single army that you've ever made, about 10,000 points for those of you who know your Warhammer stuff out there. Um, I've got everything. Would you like to employ me? And they said, yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's loosely a very wide roundabouty chart to how I got to where I am today. So your first like real job came from Games Workshop. Well, my first real job was a gardener. And then but I mean as far as in but the in the as far as in the games industry, yes, but I I made let's say I made a somewhat controversial choice when I was a kid. Um I was 18 years old and I'd gone down for what was my second interview with Games Workshop. For those of you who know your Games Workshop lore and time, it's just when Dark Millennium had been released for Warhammer Fantasy, for Warhammer 40k, pardon me, uh, the second edition. It was right at that point. And I had spent two weeks down in their head office because I'd had a super long interview process because yeah. they kind of didn't believe that I existed. Yeah. Um, uh, because I literally had everything. I knew everything. I sat inside their sales department for a while, making phone calls. I sat in there um, with their mail order department for a wee while. I went down to the studio for a wee while. Generally, a complete laugh for two weeks, living it up. And then at the end of it, got told, you can pretty much go anywhere you want in the company, Andy, because you can. What would you like to do? And I was a kid. Yeah. So I said, I'd like to go where I can be the closest to my parents because I'm only 18. Yeah. Um, so I so I chose to work at the Edinburgh store, um, which was the closest store um, uh, pretty much to my parents and the fastest one that they could get to. Um, so I could have worked in the studio. I could have worked in game design. I could have worked in all those things, but I chose to work in retail. Like the fun guy that I was, that didn't last too long. I lasted for a few years there, quit out, and then ended up doing freelance art and writing instead. Um, but my first actual job was a job that everybody at the time expected me to choose differently. And that was I went into retail when I could have gone anywhere. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't change it for the world, though, because that's but there, there are so many people in the industry right now that, you know, Games Workshop's kind of like this 
almost I don't want to say forgotten, but almost this forgotten place that when you talk to like people that have just started gaming the last couple of years, they're like, "What's Games Workshop? What what was that?" Mm. Well, almost everything that you're playing with right now was designed by people who worked over there when that place came up. Like there are so many people that like they got their teeth into the industry at Games Workshop, and and so many what? people don't realize that. Yeah, and what's particularly interesting for Games Workshop in that era as well was that it wasn't the war games machine that we know now. Um, back then, Games Workshop had the, the, the rights to do D&D in the UK. They had rights to do a whole variety of different role-playing games, um, all of Chaosium's games, for example. So you're looking at your Stormbringers, your Call of Cthulhu's, yeah. um, your RuneQuests. Um, they held the license for all that. They held the license for a ton of really awesome board games as well. Um, and when I came to them, it was just at the tail end of that, and they were making their bridge from being a broad games company that did everything and had a licensed rights to sell it into the UK to all manner of different games, to just being Games Workshop as it would become, which was focused largely on, to sum it up with a single word, Warhammer and yeah. its various stripes. Yeah. Um, but uh, I cut my teeth on Games Workshop's broader background rather than its far tighter remit than it came to be later yeah did you when you were growing up um did you take like art classes or was it just like you learned from your parents and they were good and now you're yeah. good yeah my mom wanted me to go to art school um i told her at the age of 12 that i was going to work for games workshop so that was stymie um and didn't happen but uh yeah my mom was an artist my grandmother was an artist and i was expected to follow in their footsteps and never did um and I continue to create stuff for my own games. Uh, I have a very healthy set of games that I'm constantly working on, whether it's board games, whether it's role-playing games or whatever. I'm constantly creating stuff, whether it's professionally or otherwise. I just can't help myself. I'm a, yeah. I, I've got this burning need to make gaming stuff. Um, and for everything that I was making, I would be creating all manner of extra images along the way. So I would say mostly self-taught right through from beginning to end and um because of that uh and because i was working on so many different games i never really did what an awful lot of other artists do um whether that's cartographers or traditional artists or whatever where they sort of hone in on their own style and because they hone in on their own style they then start working out for their own niche and building up out from there and you can always say oh that's definitely a piece from such and such um i was always creating material for another game um, so I was looking to replicate their sort of style yeah. so that I could say, ha ha, I've created a thing for this game. I've created a thing for this game, created a thing for this game. So I ended up never really honing in the style and just doing whatever was required for the task at hand, um, which was uh, a nice way of saying I wore lots of different artistic hats according to need. Yeah. But that shows range too, though, which is also like beneficial. Yeah. Uh, argue it's a little bit of a jack of all trades situation to use the almost classic set of role play rules whenever jack of all trades comes up so spawn for a talent jack of all trades master of none <laughs> where you tend to find the people who have mastered a particular style um they have such a a, a focus and 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 so practiced on that i mean my daughter already who is also doing art just now my youngest daughter um she's been practicing on um, down towards her particular style now for about the last four or five years and she's moving ahead of me in a variety of different ways because she's focusing so intently on a single thing where I dabbled and dabbled and dabbled and dabbled and dabbled and dabbled. So I could do pretty much anything I needed to do, but I would always be going, I wouldn't mind hiring somebody else in to make it look really awesome in a particular area. Yeah. 
when you were working in retail there, what, what were some of your favorite things that you were working with at the time? Uh, uh, so this is a long time ago because um, I'm sadly old. Um, you don't look wow. old. You don't look old. Uh, thank you very much. You're, you're like, I'll take that. I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's see, early 90s when I was working in retail, um, that would be mostly um, most of the stuff that I was building myself at that point was Warhammer and Vampire, Vampire the Masquerade as yeah. a game. I created a ton of stuff. I wrecked a big live role-playing um, vampire game at the time. And I ran a lot of Warhammer fantasy role-play games uh, for my just friend groups, as you do. And I wrote so much material for that. Um, uh, by the time the second edition of the game was coming around, so that's when Green Ronin were employed by Games Workshop mm -hmm. to do that, and that was released in 2005. By the time that came out, I'd already written my own edition of second edition um, for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, a uh, completely different style of game, which was super fun to do. And I'd written, I don't know, an easy million words for that by that point. Yeah. As you do. For fun. And when did they yeah, bring you in to actually do official material for them? So um, for the role-playing game, um, that happened 2005 um, when I was working for them officially. I'd worked for a couple of other game companies before that. Um, and that was purely because I saw that they were doing a second edition. I went, well, I don't need to be creating my own material now. Let's just throw that aside. I'll just use someone else's because why do that when someone else is doing all the hard work? Yeah. It came out and there was a variety of things that I was unsatisfied with because everyone's got their own gaming tastes. Yeah. And um, I went to the Black Industries forums and I laid out exactly what my issues were. And I'm a relatively polite guy and relatively verbose as well. But um, <laughs> I, I explained everything that could be done differently. And they pinged me within about, well, about three, four weeks. And they said, we'd like you to come in and moderate, do things for us because you clearly know your stuff really well. So once I was on the inside, I explained exactly what I thought was wrong and exactly what they could do to fix it. And then I gave them an example of one of the maps that they'd done and sent a version that I had done just the night before. Um, that's what I think it should look like. You could have done it this way. It's not hard. It's a really easy style to replicate and it also matches the ones that you've done. It just looks a bit more Warhammer. Um, and I'm not looking at suggesting that you spend a lot of time on these maps. I'm not saying sit down and do two or three weeks work per map. This is a very fast style that you could rip out relatively quickly. Um, I sent that over and I also sent over a host. Uh, I must have sent over around about, at that point, about 30, 40 different articles for the second edition of the game. Okay. Um, and they pinged back and they said that you're hired. And I was like, excellent. Well, nice. What do you want me to write? Oh, away I go. Yeah. Um, my first gig was actually writing for the game. Um, my second gig was mapping for the game, but mapping for the game was published first because the publishing cycle tends to be you write, all the writing is then edited up, then you go to the art, the last art is often the maps, and then it goes towards um, publication. Okay. Um, so I was first hired to do the writing, and then I was hired maybe a month later to do a bunch of maps on another project. That project was almost completed. Um, so that project then came out as one of the Bretonian projects for Warhammer. Um, that was my first officially published stuff for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. But I ended up doing pretty much something for almost every book in the line, almost past yeah, that point. Quite a bit. Um, indeed, not only did I do something for pretty much every book, by the end of it, I had written for them. I developed some of the books. I had um, illustrated some of the books. I'd done cartography some of the books. I didn't even done proofreading. 
I was behind the scenes um, an IP guy, as it's often referred to, um, in that I knew the intellectual property really, really well because I knew my Warhammer. So when uh, I was employed to do a map for it, they'd send me over all the text and I'd go through the entire text because I kind of can't help myself and yeah. bring them back and say, you know, you could change this to this and this and this and this and this to match this book, to match that book, um, to match that one over there, to match that one over there. Um, and it was about that time because I'd been hired for the maps that I decided, well, I've been hired to do all the maps and as well to build a version of the Warhammer world in the background so that I can just take what I need from that and just copy paste it over. Um, so being me, I had every single Games Workshop game to hand, every single book, every single thing. I just referenced them all and popped that into a map and that became my master map. Oh. And because I'd because I'd read everything for that master map, it made it really easy for me to say, this novel actually says this, this book over here says this, this computer game over here says this. Now, you might not want to change it, but at least you're making a decision as to whether you want to match what has been presented in other parts of Games Workshop's large oeuvre of different books or different properties, yeah. really, because it's a multimedia um, section. So um, that was really nice. Indeed, uh, it reached the point where... Um, even Black Library, because I was working a fair bit for Black Library on the side. That's the publishing imprint for Games Workshop, if okay. you don't know. Okay. Um, so they they do all the novels. And um, I was helping some of the authors with maps and telling them which family lines were in various places that had been mentioned in various things. And one yeah. of the books, one of the Gotrek and Felix books for the Warhammer fans out there, it's actually dedicated to me because I'd spent so much time yeah. Um, explaining all the different ways that they could uh, work their way through the Warhammer world to get where they want to go. And that was that was a really nice one. Interestingly and amusingly, that actually made me happier than working on some of the books. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, look at that, it's dedicated to Andy Law, my native guide. Thanks, Nathan. The author um, question was Nathan Long writing Bowtrek and Felix. He's now the chief writer in Excel Games over at Microsoft. Um, and he's just a great guy, best bit person in the world. Nice. If you're out there, Nathan, you rock. You rock, Nathan. Yeah, he That's does. That's freaking cool. So you got to touch like all of these things. How how do you keep that straight in your mind, or is it just because like you were like a super fan to begin with, and then yeah, they just lucked out to get you in there? Yeah, um, for Warhammer, I was a super fan to begin with, and I was a super fan because of the isolation to begin with. I just yeah. devoured everything that was there. Um, it became my thing. And I'm let's say I've got one of those minds, let's be charitable to myself, that likes to just get into it and then gets lost in it. Yeah. Um, so uh, before COVID, it was just all in my mind. I got COVID really bad. Oh. It took me out for over six months. Um, and I now use a lot of notes because of that because my brain has a lot more brain fog than it used to beforehand. But nevertheless, I've still got most of it sitting in there somewhere. Yeah. It just takes a little bit longer for me to go, what's the connections again? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember yeah. now. It's in that novel and it's in that computer game. It's that thing over there. And it all comes tumbling back into place. See, I but, I'm um, not just making it up. The same the same thing happened to me. And I, I, every once in a while I bring it up. I'm like, I my brain just isn't working the same as it used to. Yeah. So I'm not just making it up. Proof. No, no, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, quite. Um, for me, it was uh, for the year after I caught COVID for the first time. I've had it five times, oh. which is ridiculous for someone who was rel almost a recluse by the end of it. Because I was like, I don't want to catch it again. Please don't. But uh, yeah, the first time I couldn't move for some, what, four or five months, I was bed bound for the entire thing. And afterwards, I can't express to you the difference between how my mind was working before and how it was working afterwards. It was night and day. But I have two, a greater 
degree, managed to support that with a digital memory instead. Um, I've got all manner of posts that just ping me and ping me and ping me and ping me yeah. to make sure that certain things are remembered to be done at particular times. Um, where beforehand, I would just have it all in my head and away I go. You mentioned you worked for some other game companies before you were working on Warhammer. Can you mention a few of those? Um, yeah, I was. I took an odd route through. Um, for example, I worked for Target Games, which is a game company that not very many people know. Um, it's a Swedish company originally, and they had their offices here in Edinburgh. I live in Edinburgh in Scotland. And uh, Target Games did games like Chronopia and Mutant Chronicles. You might know Mutant Chronicles. It got turned into a movie with Ron Perlman. Yeah. Um, I believe Mutant Chronicles is an RPG uh, game is currently run by Modiphius, um, another British company down in London. Um, Modiphius are awesome. Uh, go check them out if you don't know them. And uh, I, I work doing sales there, of all things. Um, I help the peeps over in the uh, design studio because I am me and I can't help myself. Um, I, it was a lovely place to work, actually, for, um, until I quit for reasons which we don't need to go yeah. into. Um, but Adrian Smith, for example, worked there. He's um, a very famous artist from Games Workshop background who's then moved into lots of cool mini or not games um, for on the board game sides. And Adrian just rocks. And just seeing all of his art there being created was one of those moments where I went, ha, ah, wow. Well, that rocks. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a fun. It was a fun place to work. Um, I, one of the, my fondest memories is working on a battle report um, for their own magazine, which I can't even remember what it was called now. Some war zone nonsense. Um, and uh, playing against uh, Andy Lees, who's now my business partner, and sits on one of the live role play games that we live role play games, live stream role play games. Live stream, yeah, our streams. Yeah, our actual play that we play online. We just started um and that was super fun yeah good times yeah but then again I, after that i moved on to freelancing on the more creative side um uh once i moved out of sales sales was good fun though <laughs> i i like talking as you may have noticed already do you, do so. you still do anything with warhammer here and there or? um i uh the current game warhammer fantasy roleplay fourth edition i designed that okay um uh along with the current license holders um, and I was the producer in that game as well. Um, so I put the books together, basically. I hired folks to work on it. I filled in any gaps that they may have left with whatever words I need to do. I also did maps for that. I did art for that. I did whatever was needed to bring those um, to fruition. So if you pick up the most recent version of Warhammer, a uh, fancy roleplay game, that, that's, the answer is yes. That's, For those that don't know, how does that system differ from some of the other tabletop RPGs out there? Okay, so Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay um, is, let's go uh, harken back to the 1980s um, when it was first created because it uh, explains its system a little bit more clearly. Um, where Games Workshop was creating its own first system, uh, its own system for the first time. Mm -hmm. And the system that they chose to use was a D100 system, so a roll under your skill type system. If your skill is okay. 43, if you roll 43 or less and 100 sided dice, you pass. Um, very similar to Call of Cthulhu or indeed basic roleplay, any of the Chaosium roleplay games, if okay. you want to go and have a look at those. So a very simple, uh, similar starting system. But other than that, completely different um, and <laughs> it borrowed bits from DD, a game that they'd had the license for um uh creating it borrowed bits from uh, a host of other places but if i were to bring out a single thing that it did that was quite let's call it innovative as much as you can for anything games workshop is it, it had a career system 
Okay. Um, and the career system was how your character uh, gained its skills, uh, the, the abilities that they could do. And it wasn't a fixed class system like D&D. I'm a thief. I'm a thief now. I have thief skills. I do thief things. Um, it was a completely open system where you could move from career to career to career to career to career, building something that was uniquely your character. So you might start off with some sort of lowly scum rat catcher. And then from rat catcher, you might move into a squire because somebody, you, someone you meet says, hey, I'd like to train you to be a knight. And then from squire, you might go to knight, for example. Okay. Alternatively, you might find that you meet someone else who moves you into Wizard's Apprentice. Um, and uh, the book was filled with careers, a couple hundred of them sitting inside there. And you could uh, plan your own careers and build them up in your own way. So Warhammer took quite a different route. The initial game was quite high fantasy, but the first campaigns released for it were quite gritty and low fantasy and very British in sensibilities with an awful lot of silly humour um, laced through it and a lot of satire as well, yeah. um, where they were pricking um, at power systems and those in control. There's all manner of uh, jokes of, that people from the UK particularly recognise because they are attacking, say, the Conservative government at the time. Right. Um, and when we were bringing the fourth edition of the game to play, um, there was a desire, particularly for me, to reclaim some of that satirical view in the writing and ensuring that it was a super fun read. Um, but we also filled it with a host of pop references that were far more uh, broadly open so that people, for example, from the States could read it and go, I recognize that one. Um, right. right down to just simple stuff. Um, to give you an idea of one of the most ridiculous ones I wrote, I will give an example. Okay. In okay. Warhammer, there is a god of death called Mor. Um, nice and simple. It's called Mor, M-O-R-R. Um, so uh, throughout the career system, there's a bunch of quotations from people who are in those careers that help uh, explain to you what it's like to live in the world. Um, and from there, I put a quotation for a father, Wilhelm Abgott, um, who says, uh, come the midnight hour, um, you cry more, more, more. Um, <laughs> Uh, there's, a, there's a bit more to it, but immediately you you it's an accessible joke, an accessible reference. You can get it straight away. Not everyone will get it because it's a bit of a generational thing. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> Bill get it. Get it. <laughs> Great. Wilhelm is Billy. Um, Abgott is idle in German because Warhammer is very closely, in terms of its um, initial books, tied to uh, almost historical Holy Roman Empire in Germany. Um, so Father Wilhelm Abgott, Father Billy Idol, effectively. Um <laughs> And, and that was super fun. Um, we For that book, we won the Gold Any for Best Writing that year, um, which was uh, super pleasing because an awful lot of time had been spent um, not just polishing off all those little references, but trying to make it feel like a really lived-in, breathing world rather than just, here's your fantasy thing, let's do fantasy shit. Yeah. Um, and uh, that, that made it fun. Uh, an awful lot of fun to put together. Um, the fourth edition uses the same system as the first and the second edition. For those of you who are out there who know it, adds a bunch of extra uh, goodies on top for those of you who are looking for newer mechanics. Um, but the core rules themselves make it quite clear. Um, we're not presenting you um, a, a hard, you must play it this way version. Instead, what we're doing is we're giving you a core set of rules and a whole bunch of options so you can make it work according to how you want to play. And that was because we were aware we were making a legacy game yeah. a game that had had um, fans all the way from the 1980s, and we didn't want to exclude any particular fan base, um, whether they preferred the higher fantasy that came with the third edition of the game or whether they preferred um, the more, let's say, 
chaos is right in your face. The bad guys are in front of you from the second edition, yeah. or they wanted a, a slightly more traditional version from the first edition. All those rules were presented so you could turn yourself, make the game that you wanted to play. Well, it also okay. seems to kind of go back to what you were talking about when we first started, where it was like you had a completely different style of role playing from when you met your friends and started role playing in school. And you're like, this is completely different. And they yeah. saw what you were doing. They're like, what the heck? And that kind of reflects on that because it's like now you're like, well, I know different people have different styles. Let's embrace that and help them out. And that's a really cool idea. Yeah. And it's it's an important part. But when you're looking at the creative side and when you're attempting to present a game for other people, you can create finely crafted experiences, something that is just beautifully put together with very simple, clean mechanics. Um, but you tend to find that the vast majority of the epic campaigns out there are GMs who sit down with a game they love and they go, right, I love this game, and then pull out a knife and start to gut the fucker. As they go out, I don't like this rule. No. As they pull that one out and they're like, no, I don't like this rule either. It doesn't make sense for my campaign. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make sense for my campaign either. Um, and you've got a choice as a creative. You can either embrace that um, or you can try to stand in opposition to it. And we chose to embrace it. Um, that doesn't suit every gamer because some people prefer fine crafted, neatly honed experiences. Yeah. But we but we were very much creating a game for a specific fan base. Um, and it's a it's a it's a crunchier, weirder um, setup than many games have out there. But it was a whole hell of a lot of fun to put together. Nice. How did how did Lawhammer come about? And and because <laughs> I saw that and I was like, that's fun and it's great. Was it like did it start off as like a nickname people had for you, and then it, that or was quite. it something you came up with? Um, no, uh, it started because of my daughter, my eldest daughter. So. Um, uh, we're talking now, when are we talking? We're talking 2000 and about nine, ten, somewhere around there. Um, so relatively late, relatively recently. Um, and my daughter had just passed like about her sixth, seventh birthday. And she was showing a whole host of interest in things that I do. And that my wife does, Lindsay. Um, she also works in role playing games and does role playing games stuff and both these things. Um, and she saw all the stuff that were lying around the house, be it miniatures, be it board games, be it books, and was showing interest. So uh, we took her to the local games workshop, a shop that I used to run back in the day. And the chap, the manager there, who at that time is was called Baz, he's now the manager for Warhammer World down in Nottingham, so the biggest, most display shop. Wow. Um, so we sat in with um, Baz, and uh, my eldest got very excited by it and got hooked. So I set up a blog. Um, to charter my return to Warhammer because I hadn't been playing any of the war games for, at that point, about eight or nine years. Okay. I had a long gap um, and I was going back into it and it was us build me building an empire army, my daughter building a, a wood elf army, my wife was building a dark elf army, my very youngest was building some high elves. At that point, she was too tiny to really understand what she was doing, but she was really getting um, into sitting with the rest of the family Painting up miniatures. Painting up, yeah. um, and it was um, the Law family playing Warhammer games, the Lawhammer. It was as simple <laughs> as that. Um, and that blog took on some extra aspects over the course of time as um, we played a couple of games and I started putting out a few extra rules along the way. Um, I started discussing other things that I'd done as well and it became a bit more of a broader um, blog. And then I kind of just stopped writing that when I got picked up to write the fourth edition of the role playing game. Skip a couple of years, and I have moved on from doing the role play game. I'm now freelancing, 
Um, uh, just bef- uh, I then just founded Rookery with a bunch of the coolest folks ever. So that's a bunch of the people I met while making Warmer uh, stuff. We all got together um, and we founded Rookery Publications. Um, and I was uh, building a bunch of games in the background, but looking to have a, a role playing out because I game all the time. I can't yeah. help myself. Yeah. And I decided that we do a fantasy role play game because why not? Um, and after some discussion, we decided we'd stream it online because we're idiots. Um, and we had a big discussion before that stream went live as to what we we're going to call it. And there was an awful lot of different ideas between us. Um, and in the end, we just dropped on Lawhammer because it was still going to be my version of the game. And I basically, for Lawhammer, do exactly what I suggest inside the core rulebook, which is take a big knife to it, gut it, and make it your own. Yeah. Um, so the Lawhammer, I created a new blog um, and dropped it on the Patreon. It's all free up there anyway, but it's still attached to the Patreon for anyone who wants to say, here, put some pounds. Okay, thanks very much. Here, put some dollars. <laughs> oh, thanks very much. I mean, I'm not going to say no because... Yeah. The, the microphones alone cost a freaking bomb. Yeah, you just got new microphones, didn't you? Uh, yeah, we just got a bunch of new microphones. We're spending thousands of pounds on those fuckers. Um, and yeah, I, I swear we needed them because our sound for our first few episodes is not great. The sound now is crisp, still learning it because I have no idea how to do sound. Yeah. Figuring it out as I go, it's half the fun. Um, but uh yeah, we had a big long chat as to what to call it. We dropped on Lawhammer because it was going to be my version of Lawhammer, uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and that would be a streamlined version that was designed for online play. And all the rules that I created for that, I just drop off up in the blog for please. So if there's anyone out there who played Warhammer and wants to have yet another version of the rules, they go, oh, I'll take that one, I'll take that one. It's like a sweet shot yeah. um, for those who like uh, different rules. And we're playing one of the most famous campaigns ever written for role-playing games, a campaign called The Enemy Within. Um, it goes down as, um, I mean, in the UK, it's pretty much one of the most famous campaigns ever written, ever, ever. Um, it's often at the top of um, uh, one of the best role-playing campaigns that you can play, The Enemy Within, for World Fantasy Roleplay. Often sits up there in the top 10, often number one, depending on where you are in the world. Yeah. Um, and um, I... Uh, kicked, started that off with a chap called Graham Davis who wrote it back in the 80s. Um, and I worked on the very first few books and then I left the company to go do other things. Um, and then after I left, it went in a very different direction to what um, I thought. So I'm gutting those books too. And I'm presenting a completely different version of the enemy within for fun. Um, <laughs> because, because that's what it's all about. Right. Right. It starts off quite traditionally. We're only at um, seven episodes in, although we've actually filmed fourteen, and I do, and we're live doing them all. Um, so uh, we have our normal episodes, but we also have a bunch of one-on-one episodes set in the background. So if you want to get a full story, you can, but you can just watch the main episodes if you'd rather. Yes. And um, yeah, we're only seven in so far. In fact, if I'm lucky, one has just gone up in the last hour. Right. Um, right. While yeah, we're sitting here almost. yeah, while we're sitting here, so it's probably just gone up. Um, episode seven, which is the conclusion for the first book of there's what there's 10 books of that bloody campaign, an enormous number. Um, but we've just done the uh first book, and that's why that's called Lawhammer because uh, it sort of came over from a blog that started because of my daughter playing Warhammer games. Yeah, that's awesome. So, is, is the Lawhammer now kind of attached to Rookery Publications, or are they separate? No, no it's, it's quite separate. Okay. Um, Rookery Publications is us making cool. I just wanted stuff to clarify that's... for our listeners. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, it's very much uh, separate, and uh, it's just my personal game. That's okay. it. That's all that it really is. It's nothing more. Rookery Publications is building RPG material for oh, and board games now um, for any role-playing game. Um, we've got our first adventure. It's, it'll come out um, soon. I'm, I'm not going to want to put a date on it yet. We're still twiddling with some of the details. Okay. But our first main adventure, but it is for all role-playing games. So if you're playing D&D or you're playing pretty much any fantasy game, you'll be able to pick it up and drop it into your setting with ease. Um, and that has been one of the funnest projects I have ever been on. Truth be told, it's uh, it's it's really turned into something that was far beyond what we originally envisioned, and it's just gorgeous. So yeah, that'd be a fun thing for everyone to get their teeth into very soon. But uh, Rookery also does board games. We just uh, we finished our first one, um, Dark Leads, with a chap called Andy Chambers and uh, and Mark Gibbons. Mark Gibbons is our artist. Um, okay. Hi, if you're out there, Mark. Um, Mark used to work for Blizzard, for Sony, for Games Workshop before that. Awesome. Um, he's he's best um and uh he designed a game called dark deeds with andy chambers one of games workshops core designers from the 90s um and we are doing second edition of that game updating it springing it up making it look super positive cool. we're going to be publishing that with modifius um the company that we mentioned earlier who okay. were down in London. That's um awesome. and yeah i'm really looking forward to seeing that one it's going to look gorgeous so pretty that's great. And people that are watching, I know if you are into the role playing, I know Drive Through RPG has a lot of rookery has the rookery stuff on there as well. Yeah, go to their website. We, we don't have much. Um, uh, we don't have much up there just now. All we have at the moment is a single creature that we created for a convention. Um, originally created to support a local Scottish convention. They said, "Would you like to create a thing?" We went, "Yes," and we created a thing. But to give you an idea of how our stuff's a bit different. Um, your average monster that you would get would give you, I don't know, a one-page entry with a monster, a bunch of stats, some random nonsense text that they'd spun up for it, and away you go, you're done. No, we didn't do that. We also created um, a whole bunch of backstories. We've created music for it, um, and that's way cool. Um, we got somebody to sing that, which is the best. Um, it's a super simple little uh, $3.99 expansion, but it has so much extra depth we've got a, a little extra it's got like some reason like 10 to 15 adventure hoops sitting um on it so you can use it no matter what setting you um, take it from similarly we made a location called the well of bones which is again a lovely uh it starts off with just a lovely simple little setting but oh my it's horrific I and mean, i love the art um, it's, yeah that's, it's just really... yeah that's that's mark mark gibbons mark's art is mm, in, in fact if, if you're out there and you like role play games Go take a quick check. Just tap Well of Bones into Drive Through RPG and take a look at that because it's just the best. It's super cheap. It's only four dollars ninety nine. Um, it's well worth picking up because it's uh, a lovely little self enclosed little um, expansion for any fantasy game. Nice. And both Lawhammer and Rookery are both on Twitch, right here on Twitch. We are. are here on um, the live stream. So um, if you want to find this, I'll say I'll say what each does to see if it appeals to you. Um, the Lawhammer one is our stream game of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. It's designed for people who are either new to the game, have never seen it before, and just want to see what it's all about, or alternatively, old hands and are looking for something different. Uh, because we present our game in quite a different way to how most do. I've not gone into some of the deeper craziness that I'm somewhat known for in my own personal games, <laughs> but I will say yet. Um, however, I've already built um, an entire board game, effectively, to support just one episode, because 
it was a super simple thing to do when I was so ill I could barely think. And it doesn't matter if the game's imbalanced if it's for your own personal game. You can just make a thing, throw it out there, it'll do. Um, so that the Lawhammer game is War of Fantasy Roleplay, the most famous campaign ever written for it. The enemy within, it's good fun. We're only up to episode seven. All the episodes are over on YouTube. You can watch them for free. You don't, there's no, you, you don't have pay barriers to watch any, all our stuff's free. Um, and on the Lawhammer Twitch, we stream every single Friday. Flip that over to Rookery Publications. We stream every Saturday at 7 p.m. UK time. Okay. Adjust the taste to wherever you may be. And we have guests from across the games industry because uh, we know loads of people um, and we bring them in. But it's not just people from the games industry. We also take people from uh, who write novels, who maybe uh, do board games, maybe doing video games, maybe do... Uh, yeah. Go take a look at it and you'll see. Over on... Um, YouTube, you'll find we're up to our fifth season now, um, which is a surprise given that we never really intended to stream online ever. But yeah. here we are, five seasons <laughs> later, <laughs> doing streams, um, and we talk to pretty much everybody in those. Go take a look in there. Um, we've had everyone from Baldur's Gate, um, a lore designer, to people who are um, just starting out in games for their first time, to someone who our most recent episode was discussing. Uh, West Marches style campaigns where you get lots of different players all gathering together, playing with one GM coming in and out and falling in there according to needs. That's what we we'll look at. B. Sherry um, did that one. Uh, uh, an absolutely marvellous uh, game designer. Um, and before that, we did a big uh, memoriam for one of Games Workshop's original artists because he had recently passed. Um, and one of Games Workshop's founders came on for that. One of the original publishers of War of Fantasy Roleplay came on for that. One of the publishers for a game called Dragon Warriors, which was a big um, uh, indie roleplay game over here in the UK. Um, he came on for that as well. And it was it just a really good uh, stream. It was lovely. Really nice. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I we love, do everything. Go check that. I love anything that's like supporting or like, you know, memor memoriams and all of those kinds of things. They're just so, so nice to see people do as well. So those are... That was it was just nice to go um in particular because it was uh Russ Matheson, the artist, and he was very famous here in the UK because he uh did all the art for the first fighting fantasy uh game book, um, the Warlock of Firetop Mountain, which over in the UK and as it spread was a very, very, very big game book. Um and it was inspirational for an entire generation of artists. Um myself, for example, I copied one of the pieces in uh, one of the books called the the forest to do, um, where there was a tower in there, Yaz Tromo's tower. And I copied that like about 10 times um, because I just loved all the tiny little details and the extraordinary amount of passion that had clearly gone into building that. And that turned into me later on doing for my own roleplay games, very similar things. Um, so yeah, good times. Nice. Miss Ross, he's awesome. Let's uh let's move on to one of the things because we're we're coming close to the end here, but I want to, well, close to the end. Already? The we barely we got, started. I know, we just started. We've got a whole <laughs> Q&A session afterwards, too. So people who are in our live stream can ask some questions. But I know the audience <laughs> would would strangle me if I didn't bring up your work with Critical Role and the, and the Yay, cartography that you did. Yeah. How did you get into that? Did they come to you? Was it a connection? Was it just because you had done some stuff for Green right, so uh, largely, yes. What happened was, uh, so we're talking at the, uh, so when are we talking? We're talking about 2017, we're around there, maybe 16. So uh, Critical Role is still relatively new. The first season's in place. 
um, but they haven't turned into the enormous giant um, that they were going to very quickly become. But they were close to it. And they were doing their first role play book with Green Rooney. And that was uh, Taldorai uh, explaining the entire setting, mm-hmm. um, which I, again, have mispronounced, but let's move on swiftly. Um, <laughs> that I've heard it pronounced happen. like three or four different ways, all from different people who have worked on it. So there we go. Yeah. Um, I was actually um, speaking to Matt about, about a month ago because he was over in Edinburgh and um, I, I, I mispronounced it right in front of him. That was brilliant. Um, he was over with uh, Marisha. Yeah, well done, Andy. That Put that aside. Um, <laughs> Green Rooney got in contact and they said, hey, Andy, um, you've done a whole bunch of maps um, that we've shown to them and they love. So would you also like to do some maps for Critical Role? Uh, to which I went, Sure, what's critical role? Because I didn't know at that point. Yeah, because um, it's still early on, uh, like you said. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, so I ended up going online and going, ah, look at that. That's a thing. Interestingly, Matt GMs in a very similar style to me when I'm not doing all my stupid, crazy stuff. That's fascinating. I quite like this. That's that's cool. Um, really like that. Uh, so I ended up being in a big, long email chain with Matt, and we were discussing different ways to do everything. And... I ended up mapping that entire book, um, which meant I did all the official critical role maps for that. Um, I was then asked to do the next set for them, um, for the show. But at that point, I got hired to do the Warner Fantasy Roleplay 4 gig. Um, and I had to pay back and say, I'd love to, but I'm now mapping Warhammer and I'm writing Warhammer. I'm designing Warhammer. I'm illustrating. I'm, I'm really freaking busy. And I really want to do this. Arse. Um yeah. so I had to I had to turn that down. Um so they went off and they picked up uh some other cartographers who were super awesome. Um the, a bunch of circles went round there and it came to the newest book that was being released by their own imprint, Darrington Press. Um, and they got back in contact and said, hey, would you like to again? And I was like, yes, because yes. I gutted that I didn't do all the other maps. So this would be a really good way to fill in that particular hole and make me feel better about effectively saying, I had to email Matt and say, yeah, no, sorry, Matt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Matt, too busy. Um, so I got to kind of ping back and say, hey, I'll do it this time and not look like such a dick. Um, so I did that. I did some maps for their videos. I did some maps for um, some of the novels as well. And that made me feel a whole hell of a lot better. Um, so yeah, good good fun gig um i picked that one up i think i probably picked that one up as well because i'd done a bunch of maps for will wheaton too for uh his titan's grave show oh um titan's grave is not as well known because it was a one-off series um they didn't go off any further but it was on top of their board game uh show that he had running yeah the table and yeah tabletop totally and they decided they'd do a role-playing game to support that with one of their kickstarters i recall and i did all the maps for that and that was a super fun gig um, sitting there speaking to Matt, um, and not Matt, sorry, sitting there speaking to Will and comparing that to the people who are doing the writing. That, that, there's stories there, but I'm aware that our time is running low. Yeah. So I'll what, immediately shut up. <laughs> what um, what kind of what kind of situation is it coming up with a map? Because like obviously, you know, Will Wheaton's GMing or Matt Mercer's GMing the thing, and it's like kind of their world. And they're yeah. like, this is the city. Is there like a lot of back and forth? Like you make a map and then they're like, well, can you change this and that? Or is it just they give you full idea? Or how does that kind of work? Right. It, it's different for every project. So I wouldn't like to give a carte blanche answer that okay. covers everything. But I'll give two examples so you get an idea. 
on the will side, um, when I got pinged um, into a telephone call with Will, explaining everything that they wanted from the world map, it quickly became clear that they had very little detailed um, for the world beyond what was required for the campaign at hand. So I said, just give me everything for the campaign at hand and let's just chat about what the world's like. So Will went off and we talked for quite a long time about all the cool shit that he thought could be in there. Yeah. Um, and then I said, right, I've got it. I think I've got all the ideas. Uh, I'll loosely list back a couple of them. This, 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 this. But beyond that, how much do you want me to do? And he came back and he went, Andy, just go wild. So I did. <laughs> um, compare that, say, for Matt's uh, uh, world, where he had an, a very clear idea of what everything should be. And there was a host of Here Be Dragons areas that were yet to be properly detailed. Um, so that was just an ongoing conversation. I'm going to add in these bits and these bits um, down here. Tell me what locations you require in there to match whatever it is you've got coming. I'll make sure that they're all included and we can move them around if required. And if you want me to add in extra bits, I'll just add in anything's required and then I'll leave it all editable so you can change it. And as it turns out, I just made the whole thing and everything was super cool and everybody liked it. And it was great, um, which, which is nice. Uh, but different projects have different levels of... Uh, let's say, hand-holding, particularly if, say, for example, with the most recent um, Critical Role books, it's now a very well-established world, and there were some details in there, for example, for, say, Syngor, the High Elf, uh, um, Elf City, pardon me, not High Elf City, um, too much Warhammer coming through there, the um, <laughs> Elf City. There was quite a lot of detail for that, but there wasn't a lot of geographical detail for that. There was just some. So there was quite a lot of well, let's just make this work. Let's read every single thing that's ever been mentioned by it and ensure that I contradict none of those, which is quite a bit of work. Yeah. Um, because you might find that someone said, oh, such and such is this far away. And you're like, right. And then somewhere else it says, such and such is to the northeast. And you're like, okay, yeah, right. Let's start triangulating where each one of these locations should be according to where they've been mentioned in the past. It's um, it, Doing cartography well involves an awful lot of reading. Um, but fortunately, for every single one of those maps, uh, the core details in straight first time. Perfect. Um, there was lots of little tweaks because there's inevitably going to be things that they've added themselves and they've got some new bits they want to do or they're not sure about how a name works. But the actual core maps themselves straight away, it was a, a very pleasing experience all around. <laughs> awesome. Um, when you're coming through and you're drawing these up, how do you like, because mm -hmm. you're looking at like perspectives. So sometimes you've got like a little bit more of an angled perspective, a straight over top perspective. Do yeah, they yeah. notate that to you and say, this is what we want for this particular so, city? Or, or yes, do you just um, like, this is my style, kind of my style? Yeah, yeah. As I mentioned earlier, I don't really have a style. Um, the Tal, Taldori maps are, they're done in a style, but that's not my style per se. Um, in that I wanted to do something that would fit within the deadlines, because the deadlines for that, their initial book was super tight. And when the second book came around, um, there was very much a, can we have the same style as what we had before? So I pretty much duplicated the same thing, but it could have been almost anything. For example, the map, I think one of the maps that you um, uh, listed on your briefs of, here's some examples of Andy's work. Yeah. They, um, the large map of Taldori, that's... Uh, that one actually comes from one of the novels, which is a completely different style to the one that's in the campaign setting. Right. Because I had freedom to do something different. Um, but loosely, because I'm aware of the time and we're running out of it, 
Um, I do an awful lot of pre-work with whomever the client may be. And we discuss out exactly what it should be, how it should work, what they require. Is it a plan? Is it an isometric? Is it something completely different? Um, is it, should it be put on the back of a skin of a creature that's from inside that? Should it be covered in runes? Should it have lots yeah. of text on it? Should it have pictorial parts? Should it have all these things? What are you looking for? And depending on the client, depends on the answer you get back. Um, for example, when I was doing work for Call of Cthulhu on the Massignal Thotep, really big campaign for Cthulhu, if you know your Cthulhu stuff, um, uh, no, in fact, I'm going to go to a different one for Cthulhu. Well, let's go to um, Sandy Peterson's uh, book for his Book of Abominations. Um, that one, um, when I pinged over to the developer and I said, we've got a variety of different maps here. What do you want me to do with them? And the ping back that I got from Mike, Mike Mason, was, Andy, that's why I employed you. Go figure it out. That was one of the best, that was one of the best briefs I ever had. Um, and each one of the different maps in there are completely different because I could do different. One of them is quite literally an estate agent's um a flyer yeah. or the house that they've been selling. So I drew it as an estate agent's flyer because I could. Yeah. Um, and that meant it was also a really good handout for the GM. Yeah. So they could give it to the players. Um, which gave a different uh, feel. Another one of the maps in there is a UK governmental um, map handout, I suppose, um, to show how an oil rig had been composed. And it's the actual government's personal slips for how the whole thing puts together. Um, I like having freedom, but depending on the job, sometimes you have none and you just do whatever is requested. Yeah. Um, and uh, being me, I'll, I'll, I'll give anything a go. <laughs> and I, my personal favorites are generally handouts and maps that feel like they're part of the setting yeah um so they're not just created for gm consumption they're something that players can also hopefully get hold of and use unfortunately depending on the setting often those style of maps look rubbish um so you tend to find for fantasy maps you tend to go a lot more artistic just because you have to um, or your plans just need a lot more detail because if you went to, uh, let's say, a medieval version of that map, it looked pants. It looked terrible. You'd want to do something a little bit more interesting so the people, when they're going through, go, ooh, this is cool. Yeah. Um, but when you're um, looking at modern-day settings or sci-fi settings, suddenly the, the world is your oyster. You can do almost anything and still make it look super, super cool and also make it feel like it's part of the in-game uh, setting itself. That's awesome. Yeah. You are on Twitter, both as I yourself am. and Rookery and Lahami. Your Twitter. Yep. Now, and I and I gotta ask you. Give this. it a go. Here we go. Give it a go. <laughs> Hapimesis. Is that close? It? Close. It's close. It's not it's close. It's Hapimesis. Hapimesis. Um, uh, like Ramesses. Oh, okay. I I, I figured. Okay. I, I felt like it was like an Egyptian sort of thing it, it, it is it's it. um happy the god of the nile happy mezzies um so uh it's uh from one of my old vampire chronicles okay um and it, may, it basically means born of the nile and that particular character was directly related to moses um but as mezzies um okay. and uh, i had a claim that moses was just uh Hapimis, uh happy moses as in uh, a boy born of the nile okay that is super cool uh, for those that are listening, it's H A P I M E S I S, uh, and then of course yes, Lawhammer. Yes, 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 yes. Why did I say I S? I wrote it down. Well, I wrong. don't know. I wrote it down wrong. <laughs> fail. That'll be why. That was a fail on every episode. There's got to be at least one fail. Uh, at Lawhammering, 
for Twitter? Uh, Lawhammering, correct. That's where we're doing our actual play of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay DM with it. And at Rookery P for the Rookery Publications. At Rookery P, and you'll find an awful lot of our posts up there are discussing the various shows that we've got coming up each week. And also on Facebook, Lawhammering and Rookery correct. Publications for correct. each of those individually. Of course, YouTube at mm-hmm. Lawhammer and at The Rookery. Correct and correct. And that's where you're going to find all of our past episodes for meeting a variety of different folks from across the games industry at the publication site and for low hammering our previous episodes, obviously. Awesome. And of course, Patreon, guys. Make sure to check out the Patreon inside the rookery, patreon.com backslash inside the rookery, and patreon.com backslash lawhammer. Do we get them all right? All other, than the, other than the, the, the spelling and the pronunciation of your personal. Sounds- Sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. For those that are listening to the show, stick around. We're going to get to the your Q and A's. Your Q's, it'll be his A's, <laughs> and we'll get through those in just a moment, so make sure to throw them in the live stream chat. But before we get to that, I want to let everyone know our July episode isn't... Our July 4th episode will not have a live stream due to the holiday here in the U.S., but there will still be a special episode on the 4th, available for download. So make sure to stick around for that. Uh, and make sure to you know go in and download it. July 17th, a live show is going to happen. We're going to be joined by editor and writer Gabrielle Harbowie. She has worked on novels, anthologies, tabletop games, edited so many of our guest authors that we've had on from Ed Greenwood to Chris Jackson to Eric Scott DeBee. Uh, all of those guys she's edited for all of them does all kinds of amazing work she's going to be joining us live right here at july 17th that podcast will be available for download on the 18th july 31st the author of the bird box josh mallerman is going to be joining us to talk about his novella that he's got coming out in august as well as all of his past works horror suspense all of the things that it comes to writing that kind of genre of book, we're going to talk about all of them. That, again, is July 31st. Of course, the following day will be when the podcast is live and available. So make sure to follow, rate, review. It helps us, and it helps our guests. So please, for Andy Law, I am Nick. Thank you for listening to Epic Realms. Well, there you are. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. And I do hope that you come back. And join us again for Epic Realms. <laughs>